RPC Sermons Podcast. Today's episode is a special episode from our Facebook Live series entitled Closing the Distance. These are unscripted conversations with the pastors of RPC and various special guests reflecting on topics from our ongoing sermon series. If you're interested in learning more about this community of faith, visit roswellprez.org. podcast, kind of unpacking, debriefing the, the sermon from yesterday. I'm Dan Christ. I'm associate pastor here at Roswell Presbyterian Church, and I'm interviewing Jeff Myers, who's a senior pastor and, and spoke a, a pretty powerful sermon yesterday. And we're, we're doing this really because there's not a whole lot of time for people to ask questions or interrogate the pastor when he's preaching or she's preaching. You know, and so this is an opportunity for people to to interrogate them a little bit and say, you said something that challenged me or you said something that confused me and we'd like to know more. And so sometimes people send in questions, sometimes they don't. And if they don't, then I, then those who are doing the interviewing just make up difficult questions to try and stump him. And so that's that's what we're doing. So we've been doing this for, for several weeks and we started last week, we started a new sermon series. So why is that? And, and Lindsay kind of started that off. And obviously, people pursuing wisdom and wise up is a, is a connection to wisdom literature, which we, you know, we haven't done that before. So it's, it's good that we're kind of pursuing wisdom literature and understand what wisdom literature is and why is it called that and all those kind of things. So yesterday's sermon was based on Proverbs 26, 4 and 5. And the title was, I swear, you chose this title specifically because you just wanted to be able to say the word hobgoblin. <laughs> so the hobgoblin of little minds, which was just fantastic. A, a reference to Ralph Waldo Emerson's uh, poem. Anyway, just tell us about how you connected Proverbs 26, 4 and 5 to the hobgoblins of little minds. Oh, thanks, Dan. That's really, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, and, you know, I come up with these titles, you know, I have to come up with these titles six months to a year in advance. So sometimes when I get to preparing the actual sermon, I'm like, what was I thinking six months ago? <laughs> you know, like, and honestly, I had missed in my head. I had that there was a GK Chesterton quote. And then I, but when I was preparing the sermon, I was like, I need to double check that. And I was like, wait, that was Emerson. And so it would turn me back to, um, self-reliance that great essay of emerson's and one of the things i've always liked about emerson you know is he's part of the transcendentalist tradition you know of that we have to step out and to be be our unique self okay and now in his when he gets stereotyped as that he people misread him as being well you should be a radical individualist that's not what he's saying he that's why I want to make the clarification. He says, um, uh, uh, a foolish 
consistency. Not a wise consistency as the hobgoblin of little minds, but a foolish consistency. And that, I think, is going along with the crowd, just doing what you've always done and not paying attention to your life. And I think wisdom, there's a lot of fools out there that are foolish because they don't pay attention. They don't think, oh, there's a different way to do things. I need to change. I need to wise up. And so that was uh, kind of a fun connection. Um, this is, I mean, as I mentioned yesterday, uh, for folks who were able to hear the sermon, um, you know, this is, this is two verses, only two verses, but maybe the most time, other than outside of like maybe like John 1, the most time I've spent like thinking about these two verses and the entire Bible. Um, and so that was, it was really fun to write a sermon and, and kind of engage those issues again. Right, because as you mentioned yesterday in the sermon, for those that heard it, these verses seem contrary. Like they seem to say one right after the other, the complete opposite. And so, you know, when we think of wisdom literature, you think, well, maybe the writer here um, was a little bit confused or, you know, wrote it one day and then wrote that, wrote the second verse the next day. I mean, and then you talked about, well, uh, again, share for those who didn't hear it yesterday, like what you heard your lecture, how your lecture explained these verses. Yeah. So um, this is a Dutch reformed uh, a scholar in Old Testament um, literature, especially wisdom literature, his focus was. And he was actually a guest lecturer that they brought in from your alma mater, Eastern. He, he used to be a professor at Eastern University. And he would um, and they'd he'd make the drive over to Princeton, New Jersey from Philly. And he just gave this great lecture. And I remember when he said, you know, this isn't this isn't um, a contradiction. It's it's offering you a choice between alternatives and the wise person will know which alternative or which choice to make in the in the right moment. And I just I thought that was it was really powerful because, you know, so much of my life, I feel like the religious script has been, or the spiritual script has been, you need to follow the rules. Like everything is premeditated and it should be quite, it should be clearly obvious to what you ought to do or ought not to do. And as you get older, all of a sudden you realize there's all this gray area. There's all these unknowns. I mean, you have like known unknowns and then you have all the unknown unknowns. And so when he said that, it was like, oh, my goodness, I have to take some risk here. I have to take personal responsibility with my life, um, you know, about my career, about my family. Am I going to get engaged or not? Uh, you know, am I going to am I going to get married or not? Um, you know, am I going to take the job at Roswell Presbyterian Church or am I going to try to wait for something else? You know, there, and, and in the moment, it's not clear between what you what you ought to do. Now. So, so that's been, that was really fun for me to engage those questions. And I hope they're relevant for folks um, that I think, I think, I think we all wrestle with this, even if we're not aware or conscious of it, that this, and as you get older, life continually presents you with issues, questions, problems that are not obvious. And you have to use wisdom to know what to do. Yeah. You're right. There is definitely a school of thought. Maybe thought is a little bit of a strong word that says, you know, that everything we're supposed to do in life is pre-prescribed. 
you know, and we just read the Bible. It's, again, you, you mentioned it yesterday, but the, the Bible is not a handbook or a, a manual for life necessarily. And so this verse and the way you explained it demonstrates that God gives us incredible agency over our own lives. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, again, so that's why you come back to the, be- the beginning of Proverbs where, you know, it says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And you talked a couple weeks ago, you were talking about the fear of God and what that means. So connect those for us a little bit. Like we understand we're trying to unpack wisdom in our own agency and trying to make wise decisions. But then there's this idea of, well, real wisdom comes from a fear of God. So how mm-hmm. is that? So great question. I think, I think, and I said this yesterday, I think at some point that, okay, so if we see, if we read scripture with Jesus Christ at the center, okay, and that in his life, death, and then resurrection, this is God incarnate, okay, and in the resurrection, we see God's triumph over sin and death, and it's an invitate, that that presents us with an invitation to relationship, okay, with a person. Okay? Now, a person is not a roadmap. Right. A person is not. Um, when you get married to somebody, you you have no idea what you're entering into. You're committing to a person, right? Right. And they and they uh, and vice versa, right? You're going to change your mind. You're gonna you're gonna develop. You're gonna have surprises, okay? And and that's what it's like to be in a relationship with God because God is a person, okay? But and so that's that ought. That's some holy fear. Like, I don't know about you on your wedding day, but when I was standing up there at the altar, I was like, what? I don't know if this is a good, it's a good idea for me. I don't know if this is a good idea for her. Right. Right. (laughs) And so that's kind of that holy fear that I think being in a relationship with God through a life of prayer, a life of spiritual community, service, um, generosity. Okay. That forces me to see my response to that relationship as one of wisdom, um, the practical living out of my life in response to God's invitation to be in relationship with God. So talk a little bit about, I mean, we all know some very smart people, highly intelligent people who are also not particularly wise. So what's the difference between intelligence and wisdom then? Great. So I think like intelligence is like, and, and see, this is part, actually in English, we use knowledge, right? Or intelligent, right? And so we have different, different words to, to point out different kind of characteristics of people and identities. And it's the same thing in Hebrew and in Greek, in the uh, Old Testament and New Testament. And I think gnosis or knowledge is an accumulation of facts. And I don't think that's unimportant, right? I, don't, I didn't want people to think. I think it's important that people learn to read. I think it's important that people learn math, but one plus one equals two is not the spiritual life, right? That, that wisdom figures out, okay, how do I do deal with nuance? How do I know um, when somebody needs to a word of challenge, but how about when someone needs a word of compassion? Um, and that's really tough. I think we learn the, how to be wise in these situations through life experience. We make a lot of mistakes. We learn from them, but we also, and this is, I think the, the writers of Proverbs look out They're They're trying to get you to look out at the world. How does it work? Cause and effect. 
what you know um you know being lazy is not you know while it might feel good in the moment it's not going to lead you to achieve the goals you want want right want to get to um being uh gossiping about people well guess what you're going to find yourself at a loss of friends mm-hmm. eventually and the wise person recognizes that and then says i'm not going to gossip about people right i'm not going to talk behind people's backs because i want to have friends and relationships of trust right and um so i really uh i really uh think that that's that's the difference between knowledge and wisdom. That wisdom is really practical. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about, about what we do with that knowledge. Um, and it's lived out, or it's earthy, it's on the ground. So, that, I mean, wisdom comes in some instances just by matter of fact, as again, you kind of experience things and I go, oh man, that was not a wise decision. I'm yeah. not doing that again. Right. But again, so, but I don't think, I don't believe that it's automatic, that just because someone is in their 60s or 70s, they're automatically wise. Right. So, so, yeah, so it doesn't, doesn't necessarily just come with age. I also know people who, you know, my age or older, who are continuing to make foolish decisions and sometimes repeating foolish decisions. So wisdom is not something that just, you know, happens to you as you, as you age. So how do we pursue it or how do we be intentional about developing wisdom and, and being wise? Again, because it just doesn't happen. Okay. And so this, I didn't get to say this yesterday, but it was in the back of my mind and maybe it'll come up in the next couple of weeks, but I kind of have a theory and I'm just not sure where I came across this, but I'm sure it wasn't my idea that like the moral and ethical formation or formation of wise people early on things should be laid out in black and white terms, right? With our children. Don't run in the street. Right. Hold my, you can't cross the street unless you can hold my hand. Um, it's very black and white. Um, and then as we grow older, we begin to see that there becomes more gray area. There's, you still have black and white situations, but there's more gray. Um <laughs> You know, if, uh, uh, if somebody's chasing me down the street, um, I may need to run across the street without, you know, uh, holding my parents' hand or, you know, there becomes nuance and we have to understand that it's not as cl- clean, black and white as it used to be. And so this is why I think like children's literature that is really clear about black and white, like, so this thing like Harry Potter, um, uh, Harry Potter, you know, you have you know, you have Harry and his friends and Dumbledore, and then you got the one who shall not be named, Voldemort, right? Like you have all good and all evil, right? And when as a kid, you read that, you get it, okay. But if that's all you, if you get to your, in your forties and that's all you've been watching or reading, you're not gonna understand the world. And there's a word we use for that, Manichaean, right? Manichaean view is there's all good and all bad. Okay. And, you know, going back to Augustine, I would say in the Bible um, and Alexander Schultz meets and it's got that great um, quote that the line dividing good, good and evil uh, runs down the center of every human heart. Right. Mm-hmm. That we all that we're all a little bit on the edge. And so as we get older, and we gain wisdom. 
we're able to see what needs to be done in certain situations. And then it's not as black and white as it used to be, but that can only, that needs to be developed. And so I think, I think scripture is really important, but I also think like children's books, novels, um, where we get to observe other people and set and get a perspective to put our, somebody else to step into somebody else's shoes, put on somebody else's hat. Um, and as we get older, then we become more wise and we're able to decipher what we are and discern what we ought to do in a certain situation. Do you think that's true, Dan? Yeah, I think, I think you're right. And I, I think one of the concerns I see, and my, you know, my passion is, is helping those in emerging generations, 40 and under really, uh, maintain or retain or re, re-engage with faith practices and church and all that kind of stuff. And I think, those that struggle the most are those that have been led to believe that everything is black and white to uh, much longer than they needed to. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? So like everything's, everything's clear cut, cut and dry, and there are no gray areas. And when they, they reach a point or they, they get some education or something comes in their lives and they realize there's a whole lot of gray here, what ends up happening is, it just, they have to deconstruct, it's called deconstruction. They deconstruct everything. And sometimes they don't have no capacity to kind of reconstruct mm-hmm. all that or, or no understanding of that. So is there, I mean, you've got what, a three-year-old and, and an infant at home, you know, and so obviously major is black and white. And some of that has to do with, you know, Piaget's understanding of development of the mind and all that kind of stuff. But I mean, when when is it appropriate to kind of, introduce gray areas and nuance as we're, you know, whether it's our own children or through our, our Christian education or our youth ministry, when is, when is that appropriate so that they begin to develop uh, pursuit of wisdom on their own and, and begin to practice those things? What do you think about that? So, okay. So let me give a couple examples. So I think, I think this is a question about wisdom, right? I think this is what, how do I take the facts and apply it to a concrete situation. Okay. And you're asking me, okay, as a parent, how are you being becoming a wise parent? And I've had to think a lot about this, right? Okay. So that's so some of the books we read, major like a lot of <laughs> three-year-olds, loves construction sites, construction uh, machinery. And and so there's this like series of books called Good Night, Good Night Construction Site, right? And there's one, there's one uh, installation of this book called, um, it's about uh, Skid Steer, Kid McGear. And Skid Steer is this like utility vehicle that's got like a forklift. It's got like a rock breaker, it's, but it's a four-wheeler and it's like in a cage and it, it can go in every direction, but it's small. And it, it can't do what the big machinery can do, the excavator can do, what the dump truck can do. And so this... The story, okay, you know, 20 pages, right, you know, leads to the situation where all the big trucks get themselves stuck in this ravine and they can't get out. They're too big. They're stuck. They can't help one another. But guess who can? Kid McGear, who, you know, who's been ostracized by the big trucks, now is invited in and he comes to the rescue. Actually, it's a she. She comes to the rescue and she begins to help all these big trucks out. Now, whether we make it explicit or not, hopefully in Major's mind, he's saying, oh, sometimes 
being the biggest, being the most powerful mm. and the strongest is not what's needed in a situation. Sometimes those are the people that get you into trouble. Those are not, they can't help you. You need somebody who can come in who's smaller, who's who you think is weaker, but who's more precise, right? And so hopefully that those kinds of stories build that up. Here's another one. So um, again, let's, let's uh, uh, children's uh, machinery, like, you know, plastic excavators and stuff. So at our house, we're like, major, um, that dump truck is yours. You need to keep, you need, you need to take care of it. You, you can't break it. You need to put it away um, and, and take care of it, okay? But then we get to the park. He brings his, his dump truck to the park. And a little girl comes over and says, I want to play with your dump truck. He says, no, it's mine. He's dealing with that black and white. And obviously, right. if he, well, yes, it's yours, but it's also important to learn to share. And all of a sudden, right there, we have made a major development in his moral development. That, that yes, personal property is important to take care of and being a good steward is important. But generosity and learning to share is also important. And so it's like major, you've got to learn to share. So you need to share. And so, you know, reluctantly, he gives it up, right? Absolutely. Like most of us. <laughs> if you're like yanking it from his arm, right? <laughs> give it up. I said, give it up, you know? <laughs> and, and so like these little situations, I don't think we can overlook as parents or as people um, or as, you know, Sunday school teachers, coaches, um, uh, youth group leaders, that these are really important milestones and ways that we're enculturating our kids, our young people, adults, and how to grow up and become wise. Yeah. And eventually we're, it's going to lead um, to the fruits of the spirit, you know, and I think that's another way we get into this conversation. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, th I think it's a critical, you, again, you mentioned uh, the, the story about the construction site and all that kind of stuff. And when, when, you know, I talked about young adults kind of deconstructing. I think part of that is because they don't see scripture as story, as narrative. And yet there's so much of it in it. Much of that is, again, to say, well, look what this person went through and the decisions they made and how God interacted there. And, and so that's something I can apply or understand in my own life. And in this context, this, you know, for this person, it worked. Again, when we see it as, you know, this black and white manual right. or guidebook and that kind of stuff we miss all that nuance now we have we have a question from facebook a specific question for you so the question is uh where does common sense or lack thereof come into play well i think common sense is probably has an overlap with wisdom i think i think um what did benjamin franklin say common sense isn't that common right. um <laughs> uh, what a wry observation so i think we would, I would say, you know, in the history of Christian um, tradition, and I hinted at this uh, at a couple of services yesterday, we have the, the four cardinal moral virtues, okay? And then we have the three theological virtues. The three theological virtues are faith, hope, and love. And those we only get through grace. And they're a gift from God, and they, and they, and they fill us up, and they hopefully pour out into our lives, into others' lives. But the four cardinal moral virtues, which are justice, uh, to give people or treat people and give them their due, temperance, courage, and then prudence, 
Another name for prudence is practical wisdom. And these are what we could also call maybe say secular virtues, that you can cultivate these um, naturally, right? Mm -hmm. By observing the way the world works, by training yourself, you know, it's not uh, temperance. It's not good to eat the entire carton of ice cream because it's going to make you feel sick, right? Um, courage that you need to, you need uh, at sometimes to come to some people's rescue. Um, uh, and practical wisdom, which is called the queen of the virtues, because it's the one that balances all of the others out and says in which proportion they're needed in a certain situation. Practical wisdom in that way, I think, can be common sense. Mm. That it's, it's um, you know, it, I can't continually spend more money than I'm bringing in. Now, I don't think you need to be like a, a Christian uh, a believer to like know that that's true right like i think i think you can know that aside from that just the way the world works if you spend more than you than you make that eventually that's going to lead to your financial ruin that's going to cause problems for you um and so and so in that way i think there are common sense is probably more of a um a natural virtue than a supernatural virtue if that makes sense yeah yeah so, so again not necessarily automatically but we need to pursue wisdom in some ways to to apply it but common sense hopefully again maybe comes with a bit of experience and not necessarily like you said uh, in a spiritual context at all just kind of a matter of course of of life mm-hmm yeah, and I think common sense uh, we get by paying attention. And I think in, in kind of like the philosophical tradition of common sense, like, you know, Plato was all about, you know, and, uh, many of the Greek writers and, and the Western tradition does come from the Greek writers, was about kind of the world of the forms. It was about escape. It was very abstract, right? right. And Aristotle follows Socrates, um, and Plato, and, and it's more about like observing the world. How does it hit on the ground? Um, and that's where that common sense tradition comes from. Um, and so I think, I think it, inside the church, it's very important. I think to talk about abstract ideas, God, you know, God, um, God's power, God's love, beauty, um, these things that are kind of hard to wrap our minds around. But I think it's also important that we talk about earthy questions, about wisdom, about how, what does it mean to treat our, our children um, well, to be good parents, to, um, uh, to treat our elders and our, our grandparents and those who have gone before us and honor them. Um, these, these have to do with wisdom as well. Excellent. This is good stuff. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you said you'd never really done a sermon series on wisdom, literature, and that kind of stuff before. So it's about time. Well, thanks, Dan. I, I've been storing up a lot of things to say for a long time. So. I mean, I guess you had to get into your 40s at least before you felt you had any kudos to be able to speak on wisdom at all, right? Mm -hmm. Have a couple of kids, all that kind of stuff that, that you know, kind of raises your cre uh, credibility in, in a lot of people's eyes. Like, you yeah. know, if I'm, you're in your early 20s talking about wisdom literature, people are just rolling their eyes at you like, what does he know? That's a great. Well, remember what Socrates said. He says, I am wise because I understand how unwise I really am. Yeah. And I think that's maybe I've gotten to that point to see what kind of an idiot I am. And maybe now that's my first, <laughs> my first wise thing I've thought in a while. Excellent. All right. So 
one of the questions Terry said, we, we kind of need to do this. We've been doing it a little bit. Like, so what are you loving this week? Like what's happening this week culture wise or kind of out there that we should be paying attention to maybe even that's kind of connected to what we've been talking about today. Well, I'll tell you, um, I mean, personally, one of the things I've loved, um, <laughs> one, one of the things I've loved is the NBA playoffs. It's been fantastic. The first round was incredible. So I'm going to be watching uh, a bunch of these games. I'm really interested um, to watch yesterday uh, the Milwaukee Bucks and Giannis uh, without Chris Middleton take out the Celtics at home. The Celtics were playing at home in the Boston Garden. I mean, that was, a, I mean, a wild game. And like the Bucks just kind of bullied them out of the, uh, and just fit, uh, through physical toughness, won that game. So that's very impressive. I'm also interested, Dan, how your Philadelphia 76ers uh, are going to do it without Joel Embiid. I know. I saw that. And I was like, oh, as soon as you started, this is what I'm watching this week. I was like, well, I was. <laughs> Not they anymore. get a break, man. Oh, the poor They were doing – they were looking strong and so good. And then I, – yeah, I don't know. That's really – oh, man. <laughs> I feel I feel really bad for you because you guys are like this is the year. Yeah, this is we got it together. Huh. Yeah, yeah, so that's. I think I'll be watching a lot of basketball this week. All right. Well, I I won't be anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Poor guy. Yeah. Well, good. I appreciate this time. Hey, what's up for next week? What's the sermon topic for next week? And kind of what what should we thinking about? Maybe reading in scripture or, or otherwise in preparation for next week. Yeah, we're, okay, we're going to look at uh, Proverbs 31, uh, primarily the, uh, the, the second half, um, the last two-thirds of that chapter. Uh, when in co college, I used to hear guys call a P31 kind of woman. Um, <laughs> and so uh, it's, it's really interesting that the, um, the wisdom tradition in the Hebrew scriptures chooses to use this figure of a woman, of a mother, uh, of a business owner um, uh, as, a, uh, as the figure of wisdom, okay? And it's kind of rare in the ancient world. And so I'm, I'm curious about that and how we can learn from that. Not necessarily like how we can learn how to like trade in flax and, you know, it's kind of some, you know, purple dye garments and stuff like that. But like, what are some things that we can read between the lines that apply to our own lives about wisdom and that might help shine some light on our own lives and help us become uh, more wise uh, and cultivate, cultivate wisdom in our own lives. All right. All right. So at the very least this week, we need to be reading Proverbs 31. There we go. All right. That sounds good. That's a good place. Well, I'm Jeff, sure. I appreciate your time. And for all those who have listened today or are going to uh, listen in the future, I hope you found this engaging as I have. Um, as we all seek to pursue wisdom and and live as God created us to live. So thank you very much, Jeff. Thanks, I look Dan. forward to, to hearing more in the future. Great. We'll see you next Monday, if not before. All right.